I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course. gentlemen welcome back to another edition of the fried egg podcast i'm your host andy johnson and today we're joined by a sports psychologist dr greg carton greg thanks for coming on yeah andy thanks for having me uh looking forward to speaking and uh big fan of the podcast was looking forward to be on it yeah for sure i uh so Greg, I met out at the Players' Championship. Greg works with a handful of uh, guys on the PGA Tour, Web Tour, uh, Latin America, and Canadian Tour. Um, Greg, I'd, I'd love to hear how you got into uh, kind of sports psychology and golf specifically. Sure. Yeah, no, it uh, started at a relatively young age. I played soccer and lacrosse through college. Um, also played competitive golf, but not, not in school, you know, in the summers and amateur events and was always fascinated by the difference, um, mindset between what it was like to compete in a team environment as opposed to, uh, when you're out there all by yourself. So I read a lot of stuff about Bob Rotella and some other sports psychologists at the time, um, got really interested, went back, uh, after I graduated, uh, undergrad took a few years off and then went back to get my master's in sports psych and uh, kept going, got my doctorate and uh, started my own practice. And uh, that's, that's how it sort of began. I worked with a young professional golfer right when I opened my uh, private practice and he had some success and uh, some, you know, word of mouth, uh, got a few more clients and, now I'm here and I work, I'd say 95% of my clients are now all golfers. And uh, selfishly, I enjoy that too because I really enjoy the sport. And I think the stuff uh, I believe in really uh, helps when it comes to golf as opposed to maybe some other sports. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think every golfer who's ever tried to play in tournament golf, you, you realize like you're just a head case. You know, in the back, and you look, yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you look around, and you know, you. I always look around, and I look at like the you know, players that are a little bit better than me. I'm like, what are what are they thinking about that I'm not thinking about? Because I'm thinking about just all kinds of bad stuff. But I'm kind of uh, I'm curious, like, how do you? How's your schedule work? Do you do you spend a lot of time on the road, or are you primarily just? Um, you know, do you have phone calls? How, how does it work when you're working with players? Yeah, no, the, I mean, the beauty of technology now is you don't need to to meet with people face-to-face necessarily, um, whether Skype or FaceTime is, is always good. So I, I have clients from, you know, all over the country. Uh, I do I do make it obviously a priority, though, to, to spend as much time as I can with, with people in person. So if you get out on the road, uh, I'll spend time at events, usually Sunday through Wednesday or Thursday. Um, but I also have quite a few clients, you know, back here at home who uh, 
you know, juniors and some high school kids some college kids and some, you know, amateur players around the area that I meet with in person in my office as well. So it's, it's a varied sort of group. I, I have some uh, clients who are beginning, you know, 25 handicappers and all the way to professionals who have won major events. So, and you just mentioned something pretty interesting before this idea. You're always wondering what other people are thinking, like, guys that play at the highest level. And I always start my talks um, with the point that, you know, if you took 30 of the top players in the world and 30 beginners and then 30 maybe decent amateurs and had them all write one question or one thing they were concerned with on a piece of, uh, on a notebook, on a note card, uh, and handed them in and you read them, you wouldn't know who, who they were coming from. Everyone in that respect has the same issues as far as what they're thinking about and what they're worried about and their concerns and how they don't get in their own way. So we're all similar when it comes to that, which I thought was always pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm curious, like, you know, what is the most common, you know, kind of thing that you work with, with golfers? Like what's the first thing that usually jumps out when you get a new patient, we'll say, since we're all sick. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Uh, um, there, there's, I guess the bottom line is a lot of our struggles on the course uh, come from one thing, and that's fear, right? Uh, fear of, you know, what we're going to shoot, or fear of what our parents are going to say to us after, or fear of how I'm going to feel if I blow a big lead, or if I, you know, everyone knows I'm supposed to play well and they don't, what am I going to have to say? So uh, I think when you boil it all down, um, a lot of our struggles on the course come from the avoidance of fear. Um, that's number one. And number two is, and as a golfer, I'm sure you're familiar with this too. We all, and like you said before, I wonder, people are always wondering, can I be more like that guy? Why can't I think more like them or swing like them? Always comparing ourselves to others. So, uh, being, uh, a little bit unfair to ourselves and a little bit mean to ourselves um, as far as how we speak to ourselves is probably the other major thing that I end up uh, talking with people about because it's just not part of competitive athletic culture to treat ourselves nicely. We always think that to motivate ourselves, we need to be mean to ourselves or berate ourselves. And uh, we're finding more and more now research shows that if you can support yourself, um, you're going to operate from a much uh, safer place and usually results will, will be better. You know, it, it's interesting. I, I made a new year's resolution this year that I was never going to tell myself on the golf course that I sucked. <laughs> right. How'd that go? I, I, so it's only happened one time and I immediately was like, why did I just do that? But like, amazingly, like I've gotten off to some terrible starts in tournaments and like, by right. not telling myself I sucked, like I've ended up shooting like r really good scores for being in positions that I've been. Whereas like, you know, in years past, I think I would have just kept playing worse and worse. Yeah, that, that's, that's a fantastic insight. And sometimes, it, first of all, it's a skill that we can develop, this idea of self-compassion. Because it, like I said before, something we naturally do. Um when I work with juniors, 
we get a chance to get out on the course or on the putting green, I'll stand next to them and have them roll a few putts, short putts, and if they miss one, I'll sort of get in their face a little bit and say, whoa, you're a pretty bad putter, huh? I can't believe you missed that one. And they'll sort of look at me funny, and they'll go again, and we'll go through the same drill. And then I'll ask them, hey, does this sound familiar? Like, I don't really mean that, but I bet you've heard that before. And they say, oh, yeah, that's how I talk to myself, right? So it seems odd when you can play it out that way that that's how we would speak to ourselves. So the drill almost or the skill that you can develop is this idea of, hey, can you substitute maybe the way or yourself uh, for, say, your best friend, someone struggling with the same stuff? And now how would you support them? What language would you use? And can you start to incorporate that for yourself? And that's how you begin that process of developing some self-compassion. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. It's, a, it's kind of like I, I'm a big basketball fan. And I think, uh, you know, Bill Simmons always talks about guys that are like irrational confidence guys that will come down the floor and just just fire a three from anywhere. And they expect right. it to go in, even though they aren't great shooters. And I feel like if you want to be a really great golfer, you almost have to have an irrational self uh, sense of self-confidence. That's a great way to put it, right? Or, or no fear of what's going to happen if you miss. And I think you can sort of lump that into uh, those guys as well, right? They're not concerned with the result as much or the fear of missing because they know that they have such high level of confidence that they're going to be able to support themselves regardless of if they make it or miss it. And if you can put that, right, if you can incorporate that to golf, think about how much better uh, or how much freer you could swing knowing that you had no fear of where the ball was going to end up. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it, I mean, I think that has to do a lot with confidence and, and everything because like you have to have confidence in your short game because like, you know, if, if you miss shots in the wrong spots, you and that's where, you know, getting a ball to a flag that might have a bunker by it is, is tough. I mean, so what do you see kind of, you know, you've got players across the spectrum, um, you know, what's the difference between the web guy to the, to the PGA tour guy, to the Latin America or Canadian tour guy? Yeah, I think it's such a fine line, right? I mean, as far as physical skill is concerned, I think you could substitute the fields of all those events each week and you'd probably be seeing the same type of scoring. Um, but what separates the guys, I think that, reach the next level or win events regardless of where it is are the guys that understand that they accept the fact that they're going to have all these crazy thoughts that you and I have. They're going to be nervous. They're going to be anxious. And instead of fighting themselves, they've come to this understanding that I can still play at a high level regardless of what I'm thinking. And that's what I've found the most uh, with, with guys that I've worked with and, and studying golfers this idea that uh, the guys that play the best when they matters the most are the guys that understand that their thinking is not going to get in the way because whatever it is they think, it's going to be normal and not they're not going to be able to control it. But once they can observe the thoughts they have and know that they're not real, they can move on to whatever it is they're doing without fighting themselves. And in the end, that's how you develop the most freedom. Yeah. It's um, so it, it, it's interesting, and I, I'm curious how you think about 
like how much of a role does like kind of your status as a player play in how you think so you know a multi-time pga tour winner you know who's got like this sense of security versus a guy that maybe is trying to get you know status on the web like does yeah. that does that situation and like kind of the role of where they are in life it play like a huge factor in where they th- the way they think not as much as you would think, and, and, it, and it goes sort of both ways. So I've seen guys who have, you know, won tour events and locked status for a couple of years, and they'll wake up the next morning and they'll have something new that's bothering them right? or something new that they're concerned with. Well, I better win again because I don't want to be one of these guys that only wins one. Or, um, and then you have the guys, on the other hand, who when their back's against the wall, um, I have a guy who plays on the web. He literally had to make the cut to sort of keep going for the year. And not only did he make the cut, he ended up winning. So I think there's guys that respond to that type of pressure differently. But the, the underlying sort of theme is this idea that regardless of where you are, there's always going to be another challenge. So accepting the fact that where you are is what's most important can help you to proceed uh, without that feeling of pressure. Sometimes not knowing what's coming next can be our greatest ally because then we can totally immerse ourselves in what we're doing in the moment. Um, so helping guys understand that like, you just don't know what's going to happen. You, you may wake up next week and not want to play golf anymore. You just don't know. Um, and, and that knowing sometimes can be really powerful. And I think that's, that's an idea I try to help guys understand a little bit better because everyone thinks, well, if I just lock up my card or if I just win a tournament, I'll be happy and I'll have everything figured out. And then they do it. And then they're on to something else the next week. So mm-hmm. it's constantly changing. So being in that moment is really what's most important. Yeah, you, you hear the the being in the moment and staying in the moment so much and, you know, and focusing on, you know, the shot at hand rather than the overall, yeah. you know, kind of situation. What are, you know, kind of your strategies for keeping golfers in the moment? Um, I think every golfer out there, whether you're, you know, on the verge of breaking 90 um, or, right. you know, on the verge of qualifying for your club championship or the U.S. Amateur or, you know, the PGA Tour is thinking these same things. So, like, what are the, the kind of key strategies you have to keep keep the players in the moment? Yeah, I mean, try to keep it very simple when it comes to this idea of being present or immersing yourself in the moment. Um, you can't not think about something. Think about that for a second. Like if I told you not to think about a white elephant, that's immediately what you would think about. And then you'd spend the next 30 seconds or so sort of fighting with yourself, trying not to. So this idea that the first piece is understanding that, Hey, I may be standing on the 18th tee with this chance to break 80 for the first time and start to think about what it's going to feel like. And that's okay. Because what most people think is, Oh wait, not supposed to think that. Right. I'm having all these crazy thoughts about what it's going to feel like after, but I'm not supposed to think that because guys that, that do break 80 don't think about these things. So understanding that you can't control that piece is the first step. The second piece to being sort of in the moment is not necessarily willing yourself to just be in this moment. It's simply recognizing when you're not. So recognizing when you're standing on that 18th team, the mind is wandering a bit to, you know, thinking about what it's going to feel like after. Okay. I understand these are normal. I'm going to use this as a sign 
or a signal to just bring myself back to this, my shot right here, direct experience. So our th- what our thinking is away from our direct experience, always. It shoots us up into the future and it takes us back in the past things that have already Those, again, it's not real. It's not It takes us away from this direct experience. So recognizing when you're not present is the way you remain present. Interesting. It's not this secret formula of saying, I'm just be, I'm going to will myself to be in the present moment. And I'm going to block out all the thoughts that I have about the future or the past. It doesn't work that way. It's simply recognizing when you're not. Interesting. So um, in terms of, you know, how do you feel about, you know, like the whole idea of like relation to par and, and score? I mean, like I've, I've started to think less and less about it because I've realized it matters so little because you could be playing great on a day and be two over, you know, and, you know, it, it's just a tough day. But because there's this idea of score, you know, that yeah. you get all stressed out about it, even though you could be, <laughs> right. everybody else is playing bad, you know, everybody else is shooting above par because it's really tough yeah. out there. Yeah, golf, golf lends itself to that type of thinking because everything has a label attached to it whether it's a certain shot or it's an up and down or it's a birdie putt or it's how we stand the par. There's so many labels in golf that, um, you know, you hear this all the time. Well, why don't you just go out there and not think about your score? That's the best thing to do. People talk about that all the time. I don't know anybody who's been able to actually know how they, how they don't stand, meaning they're just not thinking about score. They're so immersed in the moment they don't know until they add up. I don't know many people that can do that. Um, I haven't heard many stories about people who are successful. At that. It may feel like that sometimes, which is great. So recognizing when you start attaching labels and what those labels mean and how they make you feel is the first step in sort of removing the power from them. And when you can become aware of the fact that like when you step on a green, I, I had this guy, uh, client of mine who I still work with who every time he, he'd step on a green regardless of the length of putt his first thought was oh don't three putt but well, there's a label right there right and that has something to do with relation to par um, so now he understands that he he still thinks that but now he understands what it means it, it doesn't mean anything it's just a thought that he has as he steps on the green he doesn't fight himself he sort of greets that thought and says oh here it is and now I'm going to go up out and do my business so Trying to get away from that idea of not thinking about how we stand um, can be really difficult. But understanding the sort of powerlessness of that thought in the moment, it can be really beneficial. Um, and, and I don't know if that sort of answers your question or if it gets at what you're talking about, but that's, that's sort of my feeling that you can never stop yourself from, from doing that. Some people do it more than others, but understanding that there's no power behind those thoughts really because we've hit plenty of good shots and had crazy thoughts. I think you could probably say that, correct? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, like what I... So I had this moment um, last year where I was playing a qualifier, and it was at it was at a really tough course. They've, they've hosted a major championship, and it was like a state qualifier. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm on the 18th tee, and I'm playing with two guys that are, are good players and, um, you know, that qualify for pretty much everything, and I qualify for pretty much everything. And, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm four over par and I didn't feel like I was playing poorly, you know? And, um, yeah. and these guys are just numbers crazed golfers and they're, they, right. on this 18th tee, they, they convince me 
that four over par is the score that is going to get out. And um, sure enough, even before he teed off. Yeah, before we teed off on the 18th hole. So like you know they're right. they're they're oh, talking. Oh, sorry, right, 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 okay. So yeah. they're like, oh, four over, four over's got to be the number. There's no way it's going to be five over. And I'm like, so I hit a tee shot and I'm in the right rough and I, you know, I I've got this kind of this it's like a green with water on both sides and I like go mm-hmm. at it from like a spot where I I shouldn't have really played so aggressively and I hit it in the water I make a triple bogey and I'm just like fuming right. and I go in I end up making it in on the number and then <laughs> right the scores come in and the lowest score on the day was 75 and I you yeah know, since that moment I've I you know like I always know where I what I'm score to par wise but like you know like from that moment on i'm like i'm no longer gonna associate a number to qualifying or a number to right. being good because like gotcha. like i i knew i was playing pretty well like i wasn't playing great i had left shots out there but like i knew i wasn't playing poorly and you know like that if i'm struggling to score well probably everybody else is that's that's a real yeah that that makes a ton of sense to me. And, and, and it, it, it happens time and time again, this idea that we think we need to shoot a certain number or we play these games with ourselves thinking we need to get to a certain point and that, you know, we'll get in or we'll win the tournament or we'll make the cut or whatever it may be. But in reality, like you said, you never know um, what score it's going to take. And then I'll ask the question of guys, same thing, say, hey, how many times have you done exactly what you needed to shoot and it was real and you went out and shot it or better? That doesn't happen very often. Otherwise, we'd have no worries at all. If we knew what we had to shoot, we went out and shoot it, shot it, right? That's not how you shoot good scores. You shoot good scores by this understanding that the thoughts you have about what you need to shoot don't mean anything, and you do your best, right, to sort of be, what do you say, where your feet are in the moment, mm-hmm. trying to hit the shot that you have right now. Not, And this is we get back to this thing we talked about before, this it's called in Eastern philosophy, the wisdom of uncertainty. If you didn't know what you had to shoot, wouldn't it be a little bit easier? Or if you don't know, sometimes if you're playing a course for the first time and you have some blind tee shots, it's much, sometimes it's much easier to have a, to swing free when you don't know what's out there. Yeah. Some guys prepare so much and then they, they can't, they're not flexible enough to adjust The golf. There's so much variability in golf that they find it very difficult to, be flexible when they need to be because they prepared so much that it robs of our freedom. And that's the same idea. When you know you have to shoot a certain score, it robs us of our freedom. So not knowing, embracing that uncertainty is so powerful, I I believe. Yet we're always trying to control everything in golf. Yeah, I, I imagine it only gets tougher for the guys that are playing on tour where they have the live scoreboards and leaderboards because, like, you don't have as much uncertainty, but you see numbers and you put place expectations yeah. on it, right? Yeah, that, that, it is. It, 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 does, it, it is more difficult. Some guys, and people ask me that all the time, hey, should I look at the scoreboard or should I not? Well, it, I, I'm not the one to judge. I, I can't make that decision for you. Do you look at scoreboards and does it, do you find some peace or do you find some freedom from that? Great. If you don't, don't look. But that's... Everyone's a little bit different when it comes to that. But if I were to give one sort of piece of advice, in my experience, we play our best or we play most free when we don't know. 
And sometimes that can be a huge leap for guys who play, especially at the highest level, who are so geared to – and you have to prepare, don't get me wrong, but you also have to remain flexible. And that's something I think that's missing a lot in competitive golf, this, this flexibility to, to be able to adjust when things are always going to be different. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's interesting you say that. So, like, you know, like last year, um, some of my best events, like I, where I played my best were Mondays after, like, I had a wedding that weekend. So I, like, did <laughs> right. absolutely nothing, and I showed up to the course a little bit of hazy still on Monday morning. And, like, I went out and shot, you know, great scores. And sure enough, like, they were some of my best events versus the ones where, you know, I, I, I'm going to really play well this week in this in this bigger tournament. And I was super prepared for it. Right. That, that's, that's another thing that I talk about a lot, this idea of novel distinction. Uh, there's a great psychologist named Ellen Langer who writes about this a lot. Uh, she... Uh, talks about the way we can really sort of uh, embrace the moment or keep ourselves where we need to be is adding some novel distinction to what we're doing. So uh, the perfect example is if you were to brush your teeth with your opposite hand, how focused would you be on that moment? Probably a lot more. Or if you were signing your name, yeah, you'd be right there where you needed to be. So golf is the same, can be, can be sometimes the same, is that can you be so, uh, can you add some sort of novel distinction? Now, again, you're, you're not going to want to show up to every tournament, you know, for, or having not played or not feeling well. But every time when we're not feeling a little bit, you know, not feeling great or the weather's a little bit off, right, can you use that to really ground you in what you're doing? And that's why guy, I hear that a lot. Guys play great when they're sick or they have a little injury. Because they're sort of they're focused so much on what they're doing in the moment, not worried about what's coming next, because they have other things that they're preoccupying their mind. So adding a little novel distinction sometimes can be really helpful, and that's and that's what that is. That's that's exactly what you're sort of speaking to. Mm-hmm. So you know, <laughs> just what are some ways you can add novel distinction when you don't have it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's things you can do in your routine. There's things you can sort of. You know, ask your. You, I have guys sometimes ask themselves the question, "Hey, you know, how, how am I feeling right now?" Checking in with yourself, right in the moment. Can you be right there? Or finding something on each hole um, that maybe you've never seen before. Can you pick out something on each hole each time you play that's a little bit different? I mean, there's a, there's a there's a bunch of different ways. Right? It, it's kind of hard to sort of develop enough of that daily, mm-hmm. but it's more the idea. And so people, you know, we talk about pre-shot routines all the time, right? So you get into these routines that we do over and over and over and over again, and they're good for a lot of reasons. But something they're lacking is this idea, again, it sometimes can rob us of the freedom that we need uh, in that moment. Because we can, sometimes a a pre-shot routine can have us so much on autopilot that we miss a lot of the information that we need in that moment. Mm Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it, I guess that's it. Yeah. It's something I never even thought of. Yeah. I mean, they, it, the pre-shot routine just gets hammered down your, your throat all the time. And I think there's so yeah. much good to it, but like there is some thing about being kind of thinking about, you know, where you are. That's right. And, and, you know, my thinking is that 
the more aware we are of what we're experiencing in the moment, the better chance we have to sort of remove ourselves from that thinking. And if we're on autopilot so much, we miss that. Mm-hmm. So again, some people find that to be troublesome, but I asked them the question, have you ever experienced that? How's it going? Have you ever showed up to a tournament without playing a practice round? How have you done? How's it felt? And a lot of times they'll say, well, it actually felt pretty good. To just sort of be only concerned with what I was doing in that moment, not worried about the tee shot on 17 mm-hmm. or the green on 14 that had all the undulation. Just being right there. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's super interesting. I, I think a, a lot of times playing like an event at your home course is a lot tougher than playing an event at a course that you know nothing about. That that's a great example, and I you know you you've played enough events and you know played in tons of stuff where guys sometimes struggle right at their home course because things aren't what they thought they were going to be and they can't adjust interesting um so like you know like i think that's a good example for you know a lot of the listeners where they play their club championship you know year in year out what are some strategies for you know playing your home course in an event that you've got like a little bit more pressure and succeeding and playing yeah. like you would on a normal Saturday. Yeah, and I think a lot of that pressure comes from, right, like, oh, I've played this course 100 times, it's so, so easy, but understanding, embracing this idea that every time you tee it up, regardless of where it is or how you feel, it's a brand new experience. So being in that brand new moment allows us to operate much more freely. Mm-hmm. And just the understanding alone that, hey, it just because it's at my home course, it's not going to be any easier, sometimes is enough. Mm-hmm. Because we go into these tournaments, a lot of people just don't think about it that way. They just think, oh, it's going to be easy. Oh, I have the state and qualifier at my home course this year. Finally, it's going to be easy. Yeah. And then things don't go as planned. Or, hey, I usually birdie these first three holes, and now I'm two over. Like, what's going on? I can't adjust. So knowing that you need to be flexible, even more so, when we're used to doing something over and over again, like playing our home course, can be very valuable. So I I think there's two kind of areas where most golfers struggle is either A, starting rounds, or B, finishing rounds. Yeah. And, and I'm curious kind of what your your thoughts are and kind of tips you have for, you know, the guy that A, gets off to a slow start generally, or the player B who has really, you know, who is too under par or whatever it is, but really has trouble bringing it into the house without making a couple of few mistakes that they wouldn't normally make. Yeah, I think, I think for sure the second player B, the the guy who has trouble getting it in the house, who's playing well is at least from what I see is much more uh, popular sort of frame of mind because there's so many things that lead to that, that idea that, Hey, how's it good? I got, Whoa, I'm about to shoot the course record. How am I going to feel after if I don't, right? Like it's not like I go out any day and shoot 80, but now I've put myself in a position to shoot a really good score. And if I don't, it's going to be a hundred times worse. So now this fear starts to develop this idea. And now all of a sudden we've lived out this entire scenario that hasn't even happened yet simply because we started sort of paying attention to our thoughts and we were unable to 
to remove ourselves from our thinking. So it gets back to the same idea. Can you get back to this point where you catch yourself almost, or you can create enough space between having these thoughts and then acting in a way that's more skillful, meaning I can use this as a signal to return to what I'm doing. And all that fear, all the, the reasons why people struggle coming down the stretch is for, is for fear, right? There's no other reason. They're just afraid that, or they're in a place where they've never been. It's a little bit uncomfortable. It's a little bit uncomfortable to be a few under par with a few holes left, knowing you're about to shoot your best score ever because you've never been there. Mm-hmm. So that discomfort causes us to seek comfort. And in a situation like that, that doesn't exist. So our attempts to seek comfort take our focus away from what we're doing. So that, that, that to me is, is, is why, you know, and again, you said it, it happens a lot. And anyone who's played the game has had an experience like that. As far as starting poorly, you know, most of that I think comes from same idea that the nerves of, oh, oh my God, what if I shoot a huge number today? Or, you know, it, again, we start creating these scenarios that haven't even happened yet. And we start believing them. And then we start reacting to that. And then on the first tee, you're so tense, you can't even pull it back. And it could take a little while. And then you get to a point where this always happens, where you're a few over after a few holes, and then you, you have this attitude of like, oh, I don't care anymore. Right? And then things start to get a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. And then it, this can happen within a round. And then you can get to a point where, oh, my God, I'm all the way back to even par. I better not screw this one up. And then you're back to that second scenario. Right? <laughs> so it's constantly going on, regardless of where we stand. You could always think of something crazy that could happen. And we usually do as golfers. And then we start to believe it. And then we start to respond to it. And then we get tense, and then you can't play. And that's, how, that's sort of the progression that we all fall into when we play golf. It's just the tension. It's getting rid of tension. It's all it is, right? So it's, it's, it helps guys try to create some freedom. And that's all it comes down to. Yeah, I, I, I can't I, help guys play better, mm-hmm. but understanding how you can be a little bit more free on the golf course is really all you're trying to accomplish. It's, it's interesting. It's, um, and I, I, I think that obviously is the toughest thing. It's all, I, I mean, no matter what, you get these thoughts in your head and it's just it, removing the tension and, and, and saying it doesn't really matter if you hit it here or hit it there because it doesn't, you know? In the end, it really does. And it may matter in the moment, and that's fine too. But like you said, you're going to have all those thoughts no matter what. Nobody's above having those thoughts. I've never talked to a guy who's won a tournament who said they weren't thinking crazy things coming down the stretch. Yeah. I've never heard it. I've never heard say some, someone say, oh, my God, my mind was completely clear. It was so easy. It was like, I don't even know what happened. It doesn't happen. What, uh, what are your thoughts on, I, you know, I, I heard earlier this year, you know, like just the idea of matching kind of your personality and general demeanor to your golf game and and general demeanor on the golf course. Do you think that's important? 100%. And for only one reason, in that when we're happy in our own skin and understand that what we have is enough, we're not trying to be somebody else, that's when we can be our most free, right? So mm-hmm. to tell a guy who's sort of a fiery guy to say, hey, you've got to really be calm on the golf course doesn't work. How does it feel when someone tells you to calm down when you're – fired up mm-hmm. doesn't yeah work. doesn't it just feels worse calm down what's he talking about so trying to get someone to be somebody different is one challenging 
and two, not necessary. Because again, anytime we have this idea that something would be better or we don't have what we want in that moment, that's when we start to feel that tension again. So yeah, I completely agree with that idea of, hey, you know, that's simple, right? Be yourself, regardless of what that is. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, golf has rules. You can't be a total jerk on a golf course, but to an extent, you know, you just got to be real. John Rahm's a great example, right? He guys doesn't hold back. Mm-hmm. He's who he is, and I think there's plenty of guys who would want to have his success. You know, but he tried to bottle that up, his head's going to explode. Yeah, uh, that's it. It's interesting, you know, like, you know, versus holding it up or, or getting it out because, like, you know, people are get so, you know, turned off by people that, you know, let out their anger. But, like, in the same time, like, you you know, you, you have to get it out or else it's just going to steam and it's going to carry over into the next shot and next yeah. hole. There's an old saying, what we resist persists. And it, it, for anger and frustration, it, it, you can, it, it couldn't be more true. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but again, there, I think also though, the anger doesn't serve us very well in the long term. So sometimes we have to learn that lesson the hard way. So sometimes guys will get to a point where I just can't, I don't want to be angry anymore because the game, I don't feel good. So you can learn that on your own, but having someone tell you to not be angry never works. So, so what would you say to a player that, you know, like, and not, you know, like that runs similar to John Rahm where it gets hot. Like, what would you be your strategies and like, you know, the ways to get your anger out with that aren't like publicly, you know, you know, you know, you give you a bad perception. Yeah. I mean, I think, right. And I think as golfers, especially at that highest level, we, we do know that, right? Like he knows deep down that this behavior, one is probably serving him very well. And two, at some point, could get him in trouble, right? Whether financially or something, right? So, I mean, you just can't do that. So letting guys know that there are other ways to respond is, is number one. There are other ways to respond um, to situations other than get angry or upset and explain to them what those reactions mean. And again, it's a process, but Again, sometimes guys just take some time to, they need to learn that on their own. Um, but to, to, to let them know that there are other ways to respond that, that will provide you an opportunity to sort of operate from a much, you know, more free feeling because anger sort of binds us up also a little bit. Mm-hmm. And at the guys, especially at the highest level, they're concerned with, playing good golf. Well, there's other, there's, you could play better responding in different ways, but it's not something you just snap your finger. And like I said, tell a guy to stop being angry. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. It's a, it, it's a process like anything, the way changing the it way is, you think. Yeah. It's, it, yeah and it's, it's not, it's not just, it's not changing the way you think as much as changing the way you think about how you think, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It, it's relating to your thoughts in a different way because we can't really change how we think but we can change our understanding of what our thoughts mean. And that's really, that's what, that's where the sort of shift comes from. So, uh, you know, I think like the, where the biggest fear, you know, we've talked a lot about like the fear of failing and, you know, the fear of missing and, you know, 
where I think it comes out the most is on the putting green. You know, and, and these tr- truly great putters, they seem to pour everything in. And, and people that are, you know, good putters or average putters or below average putters always wonder, like, how does this guy make so many putts and what is he thinking when he's putting? Do you, do you have something that you like to, you know, kind of preach of, like, getting, you know, thoughts out of your head and just thinking about, you know, making the putt while you putt? Or, like, how, what's your kind of philosophy on, on putting? Yeah, no, I... I... I definitely steer away from the idea that you need to uh, change what you think, because again, that that'll it will get back to that idea of sort of creating tension. Mm-hmm. But changing your understanding about what those thoughts mean, uh, it, it can be a game changer for a lot of guys to know that you can stand over a putt and not feel a hundred percent about making it and still make it, because that happens all the time. Now the problem with putting is. It's black or white. It either goes in or it doesn't, and there's an immediate sort of judgment. If you're on the tee and you hit one in the rough, you can still make an eagle or a bird. But on the green, you get the immediate result right away. So there's such an emphasis on making or missing that it's very difficult to remove that, right? No matter who you are, you just can't can't get away from it. Mm -hmm. So it either goes in or it doesn't. So I I think expectation on the green is is really, you know – first place to start with that if you look at the top tour pros and how many putts they make inside 10 feet i think a lot of people are surprised how many they actually miss so expectation is the first piece um but the greatest example there is you know if someone has the yips or they struggle with the short ones right those guys don't struggle with 30 footers or 40 footers their strokes pretty smooth it's only because this idea that whoa if i miss the short putt how am I going to look or how is it going to feel? So it's starting to get to that. Like, how does this make me feel when I miss it? And then starting to work backwards from that, you can start, once you start unraveling that fear, now it's a little bit easier to make that stroke. Now, again, it doesn't guarantee you're going to make a putt, but all you can do is make a good stroke. It's mm-hmm. all you can do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. So it's just, it's trying to get away from, yeah, it's just understanding you're going to miss putts and, you know, it happens, but like the, the, I mean, I, and that's like part of like, you know, they always say that Tommy Roy and like, uh, I forgot the other producer for, for CBS is like the most powerful man in golf because they determine what the public perception is. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. I say this guys all the time. When you're watching golf on TV, what do you see? You see the leaders. You see people making putts. The guys that are playing great. Team. Yeah. And you see them making putts. I have a joke with my dad. My dad, we, we, he's a big golf fan, and we always talk on, he'll talk on Monday, and he always says, man, that guy who won, he played great. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> he, he won. So, it, But that's all we see. So people, the average fan, doesn't know, doesn't walk practice rounds with these guys, doesn't see the guys that are struggling to make the cut, doesn't see the guys missing three or four footers. So we just assume that, hey, this is what golf is. It's making every putt, it's hitting every fairway, and it's a winning tournament. Mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, that's why I, I always tell people, like, the best way to watch a golf tournament is to find, like, a group of, of good players, but don't go watch the stars. Find, like, the guys that are, you know, you're – you're good, you know, maybe above average, middle of the road player on the PGA Tour and walk with them for 18 holes because then you see yeah. the ebbs and flows of the round, you know, where, I, you know, I, I, I'm curious what you think about this, but, like, I think that 
there's always, no matter what, like three or a four-hole stretch where you lose, you know, it's very rare for you to hit the ball great for 18 straight holes. And so much of it is dictated on, like, when you hit that patch where you struggle is how you get out of that patch. You you couldn't be more right about that. That's the best. You're, you're that's the best way to watch. Is see when a guy faces some adversity or when he's a little uncomfortable, what he does, right? Because these guys make their money not when they're playing great, but when they're playing poorly, and how they adjust in those situations. Because the game, like you said, is too hard to play great for 18 holes or for a few weeks in a row. It's just too hard. So you really earn your money, right? When things aren't going so well. Because you, you sort of find ways to put up a decent number when you're not playing well because it's too hard to play well all the time. So, yeah, and I, I agree with that. Watching a group, if you have that opportunity, is, can be really beneficial regardless of who it is um, because you really see everything as far as this. You're going to struggle at some point during the round or some holes everything's just going to look easier. Putts are going to drop or sometimes they're going to miss a few putts and what are they going to do next? And that can be a really interesting uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's, it's like, you know, people get caught up in, stand, you know, and it, it does require a lot more work. I mean, you're going to walk 18 holes, you're going to... Sure, you know, no, like, no, for sure. Not everyone has that opportunity. But but at the same time, you, you lose, you know, you when you're just sitting on a hole or you're trying to watch the, you know, the star players that, that featured pairing, like you lose so much perspective because you're fighting the crowds and you're not going to see every shot. You know, it's it's a, it's a um, you know, I, I think it's a, a really unique because all these guys are so good and they all yeah. have all the skills and, and the margins are so razor thin that, you know, I, it was interesting at the players where, you know, I, I watched Blaine Barber play a lot of golf and Blaine finished like, you know, like I think he finished top 20 that event. And in the first two rounds, he had um, he had like two moments where he made like, you know, a double or a a triple and and it wasn't like he hit a bad shot but then you know I watched Siwoo Kim his pretty much his entire uh back nine of his of the final round and you see him in similar situations and that's where he won because he got up and down and was stress-free you know uh, putting it you know like he was hitting chips to two feet where Blaine Barber you know makes a double and and that yeah that those micro moments was the difference between Blaine Barber winning and finishing, you know, T twentieth, and Si Wu winning and finishing, you know, tenth? You couldn't be more right. The the the, the difference is so small, um, and again, that's what it comes down to. It, it's it's you know, when you have face some adversity, what are you going to do with it? Because you're going to, and if you run from it and you try to seek comfort in those situations, you're going to struggle. Mm-hmm. So, so with it, you know, is it just, you know, is it really commitment? Is it, is it saying I'm just going to hit this shot? The idea of committing to each other, you hear that a lot, right? Like this idea, like you, you got to commit a hundred percent to each shot. Well, what does that mean? You know, that's what I ask guys. What, what does it mean to you to commit? Because a lot of guys don't, know what it means to be committed. Does that mean I tell myself I'm committed? Does that mean uh, I'm not thinking about anything else? Does that mean, uh, you know, there's a lot, and everyone's got a little sort of different idea, but once you come up with your own definition of commitment, now you've reached sort of this new level of commitment. (laughs) 
yeah. because I think it means something to, different to, to everyone. So, so defining that first is really important. And I think, you know, you'd be surprised. I'm surprised always when I ask guys what that means that a lot of people don't know. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Like, I just want to hit a good shot. Well, of course, you want to hit a good shot in every hole or every <laughs> shot. So d- defining that for people is really important. That's the first step. And that, that's a tool that people, you know, who are listening can take with them. Take a minute and define what commitment means to you and write it down and bring it with you. And I think you'd be surprised how different it is than what you think it is. So, um, but then you have the example of guys who, you know, you can still hit good shots and not be committed. I mean, it's ideal, right? But there's going to be shots where you're standing over them and you're just not going to feel good. So understanding that you can still hit good shots in those moments can also be really powerful. Because if we're trying to get committed in a situation where we're just not, it's not going to happen, then that tension comes, right, that we talked about. Mm-hmm. So for me, it, it, I guess I did, I'm sort of obsessed with this idea of creating freedom, and I, I believe it comes from this sort of happiness with where we are in the moment, this contentment. And it's not being a lazy sort of just settling. It, it, it's a it's a complete acceptance of what we have in that moment and knowing that that's enough. And that's going to give me the best shot chance to be committed to hitting a shot. Mm-hmm. It's that you're being content. Hey, how, how much do you think playing partners and like, and, uh, caddies player, like, you know, like, especially at a, at a higher level on, on tour, like, is that because of that comfort you just talked about? Is it, you know, is there some, is there a lot of effect that having a good pairing and, you know, obviously you have to have a good caddy relationship? Yeah, I think, I think, and I've been fortunate enough to to get to know a lot of the caddies quite well and such good guys. And people forget that, you know, if, you know, your guy doesn't make the cut, makes the money you're not going to be making as much money either. So there's this added sort of built-in pressure sometimes on players. Hey, I want to play well because I want my guy to feel good about me. Like, we're going to make some money too. Like, I mean, it, you know, yeah. it sounds silly, but there, there's this added sort of layer to that relationship. Um, so the best caddies are the guys that sort of instill this sort of comfort, really, right? Regardless of the situation, everything's, you know, this is going to be good. And, and those, those are the best, the guys that have that figured. And again, the guys that get to know their players, um, well, know what, you know, makes them tick almost, um, you know, when to say something and when not to, uh, because everyone's different uh, as far as players are concerned in terms of what they need. Some guys need a little extra hand holding. Some guys don't want to hear a word when they're playing. So, those relationships can be huge. And again, like I said, I've been fortunate enough to sort of see some of those relationships develop and how powerful they can be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I think that's, I, you see it, you have guy, you see it in, in am golf, even like where you have buddies caddy. I like my favorite caddy for myself is like, I have a cousin who's a high school baseball coach and he used to be a really, he was a minor league pitcher and he just understands like what to say and like he's good yeah. at motivating and you know especially like when i you know i have a tendency to get down on my luck and down in the dumps and and you know he has a good way of like getting me out of being a moper 
you know? <laughs> and, right, right. <laughs> but I think, you know, he has that built-in, like, that's what he does, you know, nine months of the year with high school kids, you know? Um, right. So I think that helps a ton, and it's not necessarily, you know, the best caddy isn't necessarily the best player you know or the guy that you play the most golf with because he's probably the guy that knows how to, how to razz you and get under your skin a little bit. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's, that's, that's exactly right. So, but, so, you know, right. You know how important those relationships can be. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's interesting. So um, we do like this little overrated, underrated segment. And I, I want to get into that here. Um, um, and the first one I'm, I'm curious about, and, you know, usually these are like, you know, answers that are like, you know, overrated underrated but uh, you know feel free to expound because i think that it would okay. be beneficial um you know preparing differently for different events like you know this is a big event so i'm going to prepare differently what what's your, what are your thoughts on preparing for like major championships overrated mm -hmm. because as as great as it would be to win those events everyone that tees it up in a normal event wants to win just as bad so why would you prepare any different for, you know, I think preparing for what the event, you know, may feel like is a little bit different. Like it's a different animal at the majors. It's there. There's a lot more going on and preparing yourself for that may be, you know, a little bit different, but as far as your attempt to play your best and put yourself in the best position, you're trying to do that every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that I I I do it. I'm you know I try and prepare more for different events, but you know it's it's probably not smart to do. It's like you know. Well, it's but sometimes like for folks like us, we just you know we only have a few big events and that's mm -hmm. it, and um, or we have time constraints as far as what we can do. But you want to do like this is say to guys all the time. The objective of golf is the same, regardless of if you're playing in a mixed nine-hole member guest or if you're playing in the U.S. Open. It's always to make the lowest score possible in every hole. It doesn't change. So why would you change your preparation to try to achieve that goal, regardless of the outside, right? Mm -hmm. the, the labels that we attach to tournaments or what they mean, when the objective is always the same. Yeah. It's... Uh... I, it, it makes sense. It's, it's, it's just making it simpler, really. In a way, yeah. I mean, it's it, because it, it is simple. We, we complicate things by attaching all these labels to it. Mm -hmm. But the objective is always the same. And I, I, sometimes a, a lot of my work with people is just reminding them of that in so many, you know, in different ways. But that idea that it's always the same. Yeah. You know, and, and there's very few moments in your career where making a bogey is going to be okay, right? I mean, you could probably count them on one hand where like you have a 10 shot lead or something mm -hmm. and making a bogey would be okay. It's it usually 99% of the time, it's putting yourself in a position to make the lowest possible score. And it doesn't change from that ever. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, swing thoughts, overrated, underrated. Um. I don't know if I can give you an answer because again, this comes back to this idea that you can tell yourself not to have swing thoughts and you still might have them 
or you may tell yourself to have swing thoughts and forget them. Mm -hmm. You can still play at a high level regardless of what it is you're thinking. So I guess in that respect, I would say overrated. I mean, you either have them or you don't. It's not a whole lot you can do about it. You can write something down and read it before every shot. If that helps you find some comfort, great. But you can also hit the ball just as well without it. But I think people fall into this trap a lot of times and say, oh, man, I've heard I'm only supposed to have two or three swing thoughts. Well, try and limit yourself to have two or three thoughts before each shot and see how that goes. Our minds are constantly running, constantly working. So there's some tension right there, limiting yourself to thoughts. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think it, I think it, it does. I think it, well, I, it probably has to do a lot with your personality too. Yeah, yeah. Some guys, you know, find it. I, I like to to use the term, and I work with a lot of coaches, and we try to develop swing feels instead of thoughts. So, like, coach will be working with a player, and they're working on a certain sort of move or position, and they'll say, "Okay, put a word to that." whatever it could be anything it could be pizza it could be screwdriver it could be anything and that's your that's your feel that's your swing feel right so when you say that to yourself that you know you know what that feels like and that's the, and that's where you're trying to get mm-hmm. yeah that makes, that, that's a, that can be a little bit more tangible and a little bit more easy to sort of work with mm-hmm. um i think that's uh it's that it makes a lot of sense it's uh so next one is equipment That's it? Yeah, like equipment, like the idea Just of... Just like, equipment. <laughs> yeah. Hey, all right, so... I, like, uh, yeah, equipment. We're going, we're going very broad here. I may be a little hypocritical because in addition to what I do in helping folks try to simplify things, I'm a huge equipment sort of geek. Okay. And I'm a big fan of Golf WRX, and I'm on there all the time. I buy, buy stuff on eBay all the time, and I'm always selling stuff, and... So I try to separate it too. I know I would probably be a better golfer if I didn't change my putter every two weeks. <laughs> but I, I enjoy that piece of the game. Like to me, that, that's part of the enjoyment I get from golf is the equipment. And I love reading about it and I love learning about it. Uh-huh. Um, it when it comes to working with my players, I think it's, when it comes to the putter at least, that sometimes a brand new look can, can shake things up a little bit. But in the end... I think getting too far away from what got you to a certain point, uh, trying to find a quick fix with equipment can, can be, you, you start yourself down a little slippery slope there. Um, I think the putter more than anything. I, I think irons and drivers, they're all so good now. Uh, and when we're talking about guys at the highest level, they, the equipment companies can basically make them anything they want. Yeah. So I don't necessarily think that that's, that's an issue as much, but I do believe that there's something to the putter. I think that's, that's more of a personal sort of connection. Yeah. I, I, I kind of meant the putter. Um, I should have, I probably yeah. should have narrowed that down. That's what I was thinking of. Um, curious. You said something, um, that made me think of a question I, I would curious your perspective of is like, you know, these guys that get to tour and then, you know, it, you know, there's a lot of cases of like, they they get to tour based off their game, and then they try and add a wrinkle to their game that they feel they're lacking yeah. in, like whether it be distance or the ability to hit a ball, the cert, a certain you know certain shape. What it, what are your thoughts on that? Well, 
My thoughts are pretty clear cut on that. And, and there's an example in that every time you hear of a guy who sort of maybe disappeared for a couple of years and gets back to where they were or starts finding success again, they usually say the same thing. I just try to simplify things or I try to get back to what I used to do. Right. Does that resonate a little bit? Like you've oh, heard yeah. those stories before, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we grew up, all of us, a lot of us in the Tiger era where he was winning tournaments and constantly tinkering with a swing to get better. And I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to get better, but I do believe when we play our best, again, it comes back to this idea that we're happy with what we have and we, we sort of wear it out, meaning we, we know exactly what we're doing. Uh, it's, it, it, it's comfortable to us. Uh, it's not a big change. So I do believe that for that reason alone, that this idea of really trying to simplify things physically um, or at least using them as a guide uh, is what's most important. Uh, it's always important. You know, always guys are always wanting to get better. And that's, I, I get that. That's fine. It motivates people. Mm-hmm. But getting too far away from what got you to where you are can be, can be tough. Yeah. It's, um, I, I think that's, you know, you got to play your game. And uh, own your yeah, game. but you know, there's such there's such uh, we're pulled in so many different ways. I mean, you see it even on tour. Guys walk down the range and they're seeing guys do different drills and you know hitting different clubs and they're they're, they're asking about it and they're constantly you know tinkering with things to try and improve. And, and it's there's such an allure. There's such a uh, you know it, it's hard to get away from, and it's always basically equipment companies are coming out with new stuff every couple of months and it's new and it's shiny. You can hit 10 yards farther. You know, why not? Maybe, maybe that's the secret. So, so fighting that is, can be really difficult for guys, but I do believe that, like you said, yeah, owning what you do is really important. So you got to talk to all these world-class golfers and, and you know, you, you, you probably learn a lot yourself, but like, who's the one guy, whether he's, you know, playing actively now or, whether he's, you know, he's kind of past his playing days. Who's the guy that you'd like to have, like, a, a weekly or monthly conversation about golf with that you don't get Ooh. to? This is the last Yeah, question. I mean, t- 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 Tiger Woods would be the unanimous – or would be the easy mm-hmm. answer for a guy who found um, so much success under such a microscope um, – that would to me would be the ultimate to, to, to get a peek into that sort of world. Um, but current now guys that are playing well, like I, I really am a fan of how DJ plays. Um, people say he does, he looks like he doesn't care. And so, but he, he absolutely does. Yeah. Um, but he, he's been able to overcome such adversity. I mean, all the things that have happened to him in, in majors where he's played poorly from it, it also with, you know, social issues, everything that's sort of, you know, gone against him, he, he's found a way to, to succeed. And that to me is, is really impressive. And, and that's another guy that um, now that I think uh, he, what he's done is, is quite admirable. And a lot of people should look to that guy um, as a model in terms of how you face adversity and how you overcome it. Yeah, I I feel like everybody, like the easy storyline is like, oh, DJ doesn't really work that hard. It's like, you know, like you don't get to world number one if if you don't work hard, you know? Right. And and hard work is sort of, 
it's, this is there's a big misconception. Hard work doesn't necessarily mean going to the range for eight yeah. hours and beating balls. Hard yeah. work is finding what works for you, right? Yeah. Whether that's hitting balls for ten minutes or it's hitting for eight, whatever. But he's he's found that, and he does care. I guarantee you. I know yeah. for a fact, mm-hmm. right? And he works at it, whatever that means to him. Yeah, he he's found his uh, his piece, and and I think like that his his mentality on the golf course like i i mean i always look at that and be like god like he it just doesn't look like he like he he feels so at peace with what he's doing you know he he does and it's it's almost more fun selfishly not for him to see him when he's struggling mm-hmm. because not much changes and he's really good his it, it, demeanor is is fantastic and obviously you don't know what's going on inside his head but he just projects this, this sense of freedom that that's to me is like that's gold yeah, it's uh, it's he's a uh, he's in very interesting study, and watching him hit a golf yeah. ball is pretty unbelievable. Also, yeah, he's also a physical freak. I mean, he's unbelievable what he can do. And I mean, freak in the nicest sense of the word. It's it's fat. It's fun. Like you said, it's fascinating to watch. Mm-hmm. So uh, hey, we. We appreciate uh, you coming on. It was uh, it was a fun talk. We'll have to we'll have to do it again. Um, everybody can find uh, Greg. You're on Twitter. Um, it's at GC3 Greg. Um, and then yep. uh, any any other way people can can get get reached out to you. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I have a website uh, with my contact information. At least not a whole lot of information just now. Uh, MindfulMindset.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm also on Instagram and trying to get some more content up there. I'm sort of behind the times when it comes to social media, but uh, same address on on Instagram, GC3 Greg. Yeah, I, you got. I, I don't know what your Instagram strategy should be, but <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> a lot of stuff on there is uh, pictures of my kids and yeah. uh, a couple of golf stuff. But so I, I gotta, uh, I gotta, I gotta get that ramped up a little bit. Maybe quotes. You know, quotes could be cool. Yeah, that's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. They yeah. look into that. Interesting little thoughts that people could take, you know? So Yeah, no, I like that. But uh yeah, we appreciate you coming on and uh look forward to uh keeping in touch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking to you and uh best of luck with the podcast and would love to come back. <laughs>